Welcome to Key 3 Educators, helping you excel as a Christian school leader, educator, or homeschooler as you outfit students to learn themselves, love God, and live connected. Here's your host, Stephanie Smith. Welcome back to another episode of Key 3 Educators. If you are new and just happen to be joining us for the first time, you may be wondering, what exactly are the Key 3? Well, here they are. Learn yourself love God, and live connected. I believe that a life of earthly excellence and sacred significance is wrapped up in this simple but comprehensive set of statements. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. And Christian schools and home educators have an incredible advantage to equip students with these skill sets. And you never get to the point that you don't need to continue developing these. It's not like, okay, I finished that curriculum. I now know myself. I'm good. I'm done with that for the next 40, 50, 60 years of my life. No, 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 no. It's about setting people on a trajectory of living intentionally and knowing these are the three things that I'm going to need to do for the rest of my life if I want to have a life of earthly excellence and sacred significance. Are you familiar with the I Love Lucy show? If not, where have you been? It's not just because, oh yeah, I know that show because I was around when it was airing in its original broadcast. Today with streaming services, young and old alike can be familiar with shows that have gone on for a very, very long time. If you are not familiar with this American classic television series, you can definitely catch episodes or at least some segments of episodes on YouTube, and I'm sure that they are available somewhere on streaming services. One of the most beloved episodes involved Lucy, her dear friend Ethel, and a candy factory. Well, before we talk about education and what its connection is to an episode of the I Love Lucy show, I have a couple of questions for you. Do you have any parents that are a part of your school system? Well, of course you do. The second question is, would your school run more efficiently and effectively if you had parents who were more invested with skill and knowledge in raising their kids. I invite you to check out the presentations that I have for parents on the Key 3 Educators website on the speaking page. These messages are content-rich, and yet they are crystal clear. I don't believe anybody benefits by fire-hosing presentations. All those kinds of presentations do is just blow you away and make you feel like you got hit by a water tornado. Nobody benefits by that. They can look impressive, but I'm not about looking impressive. I am committed to helping impart knowledge and wisdom and skill, both from research, my own success, and plenty of my own failures, to help parents raise up their children who are skilled and the three key aims of life. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. So if you haven't already done that, check those out on the Key 3 Educators website. 
there's a contact form on the website and you can fill in and give me some more information about what you're looking for. Also, think creatively. I have presentations for students. These are in the middle and high school grades. I I don't have presentations for elementary school students and also for teachers and staff. And I'm committed to serving with excellence and respecting and valuing your time and your investment. Okay, let's go back and talk about I Love Lucy and education. In one of the most infamous and beloved episodes, Lucy and her dear friend Ethel, they take jobs at this candy factory. And so what happens is these candies come through along this conveyor belt and Lucy and Ethel are standing there and they they have these um, caps on, you know, to cover their hair and they have aprons on over their clothing that have pockets in them. And what happens is as the candies roll past them on this conveyor belt, their job is to pick up each piece to wrap it up and then plop it back down on the conveyor belt. Well, at first, the pieces come along slowly and the gals are very proficient. They're complimenting each other. Oh, this is so easy. This is so great. I mean, this is such a wonderful job. They're so excited about the money that they're going to make. But what happens is things start speeding up. And as the conveyor belt starts going faster, the girl's anxiety starts increasing as well. Well, pretty soon they hear the supervisor is going to be coming in and they are behind. I mean, they are not keeping up. And so what they do is they start grabbing the chocolates from off the conveyor belt. And I mean, they are stuffing them wherever they can put them. They're in their hats, they're in their clothes, they're even stuffing them in their mouths so they look like chipmunks that have their mouth full of of nuts. So the manager opens the door, comes in, sees this clean conveyor belt, and she's just delighted. And so she heaps praise on the pair, and then she leaves. And the girls for a minute think, that, oh, they're off the hook. And so they're going to be able to, to get back now to this speed and be able to keep up. That's not what happens. You see, the manager makes an assumption because based on seeing this, this clean conveyor belt. And so she goes out and the door shuts and Lucy and Ethel hear her call out to the conveyor belt operator, speed it up. And they are just, oh no, what are they going to do? And this scene closes with Lucy and Ethel and they're just desperately trying to keep pace with these chocolates, you know, while they're just racing by. And of course the audience is roaring with laughter. So what does this have to do with education? A lot. Education has an inbuilt conveyor belt system. And this inbuilt system increases the odds of substandard scholarship. This isn't unique to any one particular school. It's just the nature of the system. So for example, why do people keep needing to be educated? Well, because people keep having kids. I mean, children just kind of keep being born. And about age five or six, they're placed on this educational conveyor belt. And they move along this education conveyor belt driven by age. 
And as they go through, educators are trying to wrap the students with skills and knowledge necessary to get them to the next room until at high school, finally, they're able to get wrapped up and shipped off into adult life after graduation. Some students never make it to the packing and shipping room or high school graduation because they either jump off the conveyor belt at some point or there's significant complications that come along that pull them off the belt. But far more other students go along that conveyor belt model. They get wrapped and shipped off, but they end up in a world where they're not prepared. Now, sometimes teachers and educators know this, and and all they can do is say, you know what, we did our best. They wanted to wrap those students with more knowledge and skills, but the students, for whatever reasons, just weren't complying, or there were factors outside even of that student's control that was just not going to get them as prepared as they might have been otherwise. And teachers know that, in a sense, that they're getting shipped off into a world that's not grade A, top-of-the-line quality. Other students graduate, and I mean, they are beautifully wrapped and boxed, and it just seems like these are going to be the students who really succeed, who really make it. And yet, time and experience proves that their wrapping was also defective. It wasn't complete. The problem is that that news seldom travels back to their educational instructors and institutions. And even if it does, I mean, let's just be real. There are so many compounding factors in a person's life that it makes it, it makes it really impossible to discern, okay, what role did education play in that student's struggles? I mean, economies rise and fall, job markets change rapidly, people make poor life choices. I mean, educators aren't the only formative agents in students' lives. And the other thing is sometimes life just doesn't play fair. The other fact that educators have to um, face is that the conveyor belt, it's not just a matter that students get automatically placed on this about age five or six. It's also a matter that factors outside of their forces cause those belts to start going faster, if you will. There are new mandates that come down from state boards or from even federal mandates, or there are uh, cultural forces at work in a local community or in a state or even in the nation. And there's always this additional accumulation of knowledge. I mean, 20 years ago, nobody was having to learn about how to effectively use the internet. This conveyor belt system positions education to be the perfect lab for experiments. Now, Nobody calls them experiments when these are introduced. They're cutting edge, they're advancements, they're innovative, progressive, or they might even be, oh, this is a return to the tried and true. Since the 1983 A Nation at Risk report galvanized local, state, and federal reforms, so many instructional aims and methods have been implemented with amazing fanfare with these promises that would make red carpet celebrities jealous. 
And then later, sometimes much later, it's kind of like we hear this little squeak. Uh, oops, guess that didn't work. But by that time, students have already gone down that conveyor belt model and they've been wrapped and shipped off, prepared or not. And there's no restitution that can be made available to those students of their knowledge, their skill, their time, or the opportunities. Now, the presence of fads does not negate the need for innovation and adaptation. When people talk about, let's return to the time of education and the founding of the United States, I understand that in principle, but could we just acknowledge that there's been like a pretty big explosion in knowledge since that time, not to mention how many cultural changes, not just in the United States, but around the world. Like, I don't know, we've had a couple of world wars since then and some pretty major innovations that have upended all of the way that life was operated. So we can look to the past in terms of principles of how humans learn, because there are some timeless truths to that, but we are never going back to the content well that existed in the founding of our country. We're never going to go back to the content well that existed in the days of Aristotle. And that's not historical arrogance of thinking that we're so smart and they were so dumb. It's just a matter that the amount of knowledge that is not just present in the world, but, but that a person is expected to have some exposure with or an understanding of how to access has exponentially been increased. The field that's probably closest to education in this conveyor belt model is healthcare. People keep being born, people keep getting sick, people keep needing healthcare. And so what we've seen in healthcare is that there are treatments that are tested and some of them are tested and turn out to be effective and meaningful and save lives and preserve quality of life. But then there are other ones. And how many times did we find out, uh, oops, I, I guess that wasn't so good. Let's pull that drug off the market. Let's not do that kind of treatment anymore. But even with those, today we have protocols in place so that we at least have a recognition, hey, this is a test, but we don't approach it the same way in education. We don't come out with a new educational program and say, by the way, we just want everybody to know you're being a human guinea pig. We're just going to test this out and we're going to try this new structure for about four years, eight years, whatever. And then we're going to find out if it actually works or not. I mean, who would sign their kids up for a school? If that's what came out, nobody's going to sign the same kind of disclosure statements for a school that would announce that as they would if their student was involved in healthcare testing. But this is exactly the same type of thing that happens in education. So again, the, the issue isn't here. Hey, we just need to throw out all kinds of innovation because just as in healthcare, innovation has led to life-saving and life-enhancing medicines and treatments. There are new technologies and adaptations that can be used in education. And we're not going back to the days where the shelves all need to be filled with encyclopedias in order to say, hey, this is an excellence in, in the classroom. Here's the challenge that all educators face. Quality control is so much easier if you are producing widgets than if you are educating, healing, or helping people. It's just the nature of the profession. 
And yet, all professions whose outcomes cannot be measured by the bottom line of quantity or dollars, but are measured in terms of development and improvement of human potential, have to have ways to assess effectiveness. And even in other people-oriented professions, I mean, a physician can see if a wound is healing or a cancer is progressing. A therapist can diagnose whether a client's depression is worsening or improving. And educators can see, hey, a student's made progress in their writing, their reading, their math comprehension, their communication skills. But even in all of these areas, how do you really measure education? It is incredibly difficult, but difficult is not synonymous with impossible. I do not have a one-size-fits-all formula that if you buy this today for only $19.95, you are going to be able to implement this in your classroom or your school, and you are going to now, from now and forever, be able to measure in two minutes or less effective education. Instead, what I want to give you is I want to give you some ideas, and then in the future, there are some insights and some resources that I'm going to be sharing with you to give you even more information because the reality is this is a necessary, but it's also an incredibly complex requirement of education. Well, first off is just understanding the inherent weaknesses and vulnerabilities that come with this age-driven conveyor system. No other place in life has the age-driven conveyor system like you have in education. It doesn't happen that like when you get to be 20, you get put on this certain conveyor system of how you're supposed to live your life and you just kind of track through. And as long as you don't do anything too terribly stupid, you're going to end up here. That's just not the way life works at any other time. So what we have to keep in mind here is that this conveyor belt model can confuse movement with progress. Again, we must be aware that we don't confuse movement or equate movement with progress. Johnny can advance from grade to grade because of nominal learning requirements. Poor grading rubrics. Uh, Maybe he's a great test taker. Maybe there's inadequate teacher training. There can also be schools that have cultures of see no problem, report no problem. And this isn't just true for impoverished public institutions or those with apathetic staffs. It can occur in schools of all types, sizes, budgets, and and cultures. So part of what's necessary to include in the discussion of the school is how are we addressing the age-driven conveyor belt system of education? Secondly, it is to be sure that there is a commitment to effective education, not to reputations, positions, or relationships. Because the reality is that we all have allegiance to different things. And we'd like to think that everybody's allegiance is first and foremost to the quality education of every student, but we're naive if that's what we think. Somebody's allegiance can be to retaining their position. And that doesn't just mean retaining their job. It can mean retaining their position in the school. Maybe they're known as the loosey-goosey teacher. And they don't want to tighten up their requirements because they like having that reputation within the school and within with the students. Maybe there's a camaraderie amongst the staff 
that's not built on honest engagement and respectful discourse and debate and holding each other accountable, maybe it's based more on a camaraderie that says we don't engage in conflict. Hey, you do you over you over there in your classroom, and I'm going to do me over here in my classroom, and we're just going to act like whatever we do is fine as long as we're well-intentioned. That can be a way where students are just going by and they're moving through the system, but they're not actually having the education that they really need. There are four specific traits you can embed in your organization, your classroom, and your home to help make sure that students and children are wrapped in the best education possible. No educator ever says, I just have way too much spare time. So to make sure that you don't miss any future episodes, just take one second and hit that subscribe button. And if you want to help educators around the world be able to take advantage of this information, I invite you to leave a rating and a review. This makes a tremendous difference in how easy it is for people to be able to find this podcast. So whether you're listening on your favorite podcast app or on the website, key3educators.com, make sure to follow because it's only one resource or insight or idea that can make all the difference between good, better, and best. Until next time, remember my friend, you have an impact that truly is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for being with us today. For information on speaking engagements and resources for your school or family, visit the website key3educators.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.